Welcome in, everyone, once again to the Talking Tide podcast. I'm Chase Goodbread of NFL.com and Crimson Cover Television. I'm joined by Travis Ryer, the senior analyst at BamaOnline.com and the daily radio host of Southern Fried Sports, which is at 100.9 FM in Tuscaloosa. You can catch that 11 a.m. to noon Monday through Friday. We are in the heart of college football season now, mid-October and the third Saturday in October. October coming up as Alabama plays host to the rival Tennessee Volunteers. The Talking Tide Twitter feed, of course, Talking underscore Tide. You can also get it at uh, podbean.com, various apps including iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Travis and I uh, will be previewing Tennessee tonight, take a look at a couple other games around the Varsity League. But, Travis, we dive in with uh, – Third Saturday in October rivalry, been a long time since Tennessee got it done, 2006, I guess. I think I saw one of those day counts the other day in, 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 in excess, well in excess of 4,000 days uh, since the Vols put themselves uh, on top and, and smoked the cigars. Well, I'll put it this way. Tennessee hasn't beaten Alabama on the football field since you moved up here to cover Alabama. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you're You're undefeated. In 12 years uh, of, of full-time Tuscaloosa residency, right? I had not thought of that, but you're right. The first Alabama-Tennessee game I covered when I started on the Alabama beat was for BamaOnline.com in 07. That was the year that uh, I believe Nick Saban. It was a bit of a turbulent week, I recall, because there were a couple of uh, suspensions over the book uh, textbook and, gate. Yeah, textbook yeah. gate. And so you had, I think, Antoine Caldwell out for that game, which was a big concern yeah. for Alabama because he was uh, probably the second best player on that offensive line. And uh, as I recall, there were a couple others who sat out. Glenn Coffey, I believe, was out. Yeah, key uh, figures for that as game. well. So uh, that that was kind of the tone setter that week. Well, they they get into the game, and and Nick Saban opens the gate with that onside kick, uh, uh-huh. which, which which was a memorable moment for sure. As far as I know, it's the first time. That's the I think that's the only time he's done that to open a game at Alabama, and uh, Alabama ends up hammer in Tennessee and uh, uh, another play I recall from that game that I thought was a I don't know just kind of signaled something uh, that 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 uh, the, the rivalry might be turning a little bit was a was a post route that Eric Ainge threw down the middle that was a looked like a pretty throw coming out of his hand uh, looked like it might be a touchdown and Kareem Jackson cuts in front of it near yeah. the goal line for an interception goes the other direction and I, I think I think that play among two or three others in that game kind of signaled to Alabama fans that there was a bit of a changing of the guard at hand. Definitely in that series there was. And whatever you thought of DJ Hall during his time in Tuscaloosa, dude absolutely lit up the balls. He loved playing against Tennessee. He had a big game, I believe, in that 2007 contest as well. And really, that was about as good as it got for that 2017 uh, chase because November was an offer. Think about that now. Alabama, after that really nice start, uh, what were they, 5-1, and one, something like that? Um, go into November, and uh, we all know what happened with Louisiana Monroe, uh, the Auburn game down on the Plains. You know, LSU was a heck of a game here in Tuscaloosa, and it seemed like once Alabama used up whatever it had left, uh, to, to make that game as exciting, as interesting as it was, uh, 
that was about it until the bowl game anyway won the bowl game and that was I think Nick Saban believes that was actually a really important win for Alabama to go to Shreveport for the second year in a row uh, and get a win over the Colorado Buffs in that uh, in that Independence Bowl. Nick Saban once described uh, that loss to LSU that season. He he said after that game, he said he felt like the team was like a a a deer running with a non fatal gunshot wound. Yeah, hobbled through it the rest of the way. Uh, but uh, yeah, that was definitely a, a, a turning, a, the turning point in the series to this point. It's been mostly routes ever since to recap 2019. We'll zoom ahead 12 years for you now. Uh, Tennessee two and four on the season, one and two in SEC play. Alabama six and zero oh and three and zero. Oh. The Vegas man, Travis, has this mm-hmm. thing. Alabama by five touchdowns, 35 big points to spread. The ticket man, cheap seats in the 40 to $60 range. So a, a little bit tighter market than some of, the, some of the giveaway games. But for this series, it's still rock bottom prices on the tickets. So uh, the Vegas man and the ticket man, where, where do you see those two sitting this week? Oh, gosh. Um... I think I think the Vegas man might end up coming out okay because that line's actually gone up a little bit. So there's actually been money uh, coming in on Alabama. I think it opened at 35. It's up to 35 and a half maybe in some places. And it's really almost six touchdowns, Chase, because you know you can't just take extra points for granted with this Alabama team. Um, but But I think from a ticket standpoint – it's probably holding up as well as it is uh, because it is that first night game of the season. The fan base is fired up about a little Saturday night fever on Saturday night with those LED lights, Chase. They're fired up about if, if If this was an 11 a.m. kick and all that. Now, of course, the weather's broken now. It's a lot cooler in, in Tuscaloosa. So we'll, we'll, we'll have to return to the to the hypothetical from maybe a, month, a couple weeks ago or a month ago. But if this game was being played in 95 to 100 degree heat at 11 a.m. Uh, under all the same circumstances, is it a twenty five dollar ticket to see that to see this rivalry? I think it's going to probably still end up being that. I mean, I know that, uh, you know, on the secondary market, some tickets get ins in the 50 to $60 range still, but look, it's Wednesday. Okay. Give it a couple more days. And you know, what kind of helps the ticket man probably hurts him a little bit too, because as the consumer now with how tickets are distributed electronically, you know, five, six, seven, eight years ago, ticket man kind of had you at a, position where you had to make a call because so many of these tickets were shipped right they were overnighted you know they were literally uh through the mail system some way or another now with that electronic delivery that buyer can wait right up until kickoff you know before hitting that button on that smartphone to purchase so um still a lot of time left before kickoff yeah i mean you know it, the, again the biggest issue you have if you're a university, I think you can even go to RollTide.com on Wednesday night, I think, and still buy tickets. Now, you're going to be up in that 400 level. You're not going to like them. Um, but but right now, you can get them for under that, You know, I think, in a lot of places, under face value. So you know, what's tough is getting fan bases, opposing fan bases, to travel here at this point. I mean, you've lost 12 straight. You know, what's your motivation as a Tennessee fan, Chase? To, to travel to Tuscaloosa 
as a 35, 36 point underdog and then show up for an eight o'clock, nine o'clock your time, right? Nine o'clock Eastern in Knoxville kickoff on a Saturday night. Yeah. So it, it's, yeah. it's a lot of these visiting fan base tickets that, that end up being the, the issue. It, yeah. It, and really, it, and you're right about that. And for this, for a rivalry like this game, when the rivalry is more competitive and there's more juice for a ticket, not only will you get, obviously the, the, the visiting fans are going to show up more often, but what you also get a lot more of the drive-ins from Mobile, the drive-ins from yeah. Huntsville, the drive-ins from uh, Montgomery or uh, or East Mississippi or, or what yeah. have you. And uh, that, you know, it, it, that's what jams up the interstate. Uh, the, the hotel man, as we talked about previously, the hotel man is the big winner this week in the Tuscaloosa area. You know, finally got a game that people are going to have to bed down for in all likelihood. If they're from Mobile, if they're from Huntsville or Florence or, you know, George, Atlanta or other areas that, that so many people venture from to, to come to games. That's the big winner this weekend. So I, I got to think it's the hotel and restaurant man, which you know, we're happy for those folks. No doubt about it. All right, the Talking Tide podcast previewing Alabama, Tennessee. Travis, the volunteers come in with a – frankly a miserable offense they played very poorly on that side of the ball for the bulk of the season the defense uh is more of a middling squad certainly has performed better than the offense Tennessee as I mentioned two and four on the season uh, offense ranking this will tell you where it's at now the, the Tennessee offense and the Tennessee defense are giving up roughly gaining and giving up roughly the same amount of yardage offense 354 yards a game uh, gained defense given up 359 a game but where's where that here's where those ranks you uh, on each side Tennessee's offense at 354 a game ranked 104th in the country that's pretty yeah. close to the bottom Tennessee's defense given up almost the same amount of yardage 48th in the country yeah and it seems like for Tennessee offensively it's been a never-ending cycle of trying to get the lines of scrimmage and skill guys to match up on offense. It seems like that in the last couple of years, Tennessee on a weekly basis, you never quite know which five the Vols are going to run out there. Now, the good news for Tennessee from that perspective is that they signed Tennessee did a couple of five-star tackles in the 2019 recruiting cycle. Uh, the bad news is uh, those guys are having to start right now. So Tennessee's going to run two true freshmen, very talented guys you're going to hear more and more about in the coming years up there in Knoxville. Wanye Morris at left tackle and also Darnell Wright at the right tackle position. These guys are going to be really, really good players. But, you know, they're going against guys like Terrell Lewis and Anthony Jennings on Saturday night. You know, not only talented guys, but guys that have been around, although Lewis, as we know, missed a lot of time due to injury. So, you get the sense and you watch Tennessee sort of like Georgia, except this is an extended rebuild. This is far greater of a rebuild for Jeremy Pruitt at UT than what Kirby encountered there in Athens. It starts with the lines of scrimmage and Tennessee very much still trying to get there. Although, again, I use the offensive tackles for Tennessee as examples. I think Jeremy's getting those type of players in there. Um, but the rebuild just, again, just light years more than what 
Kirby encountered at UGA. Still needs some more time to develop some of those yeah. guys that he can bring in for sure. And, and, and that'll be it. We all know he can recruit. The guy's going to bring in the athletes. That's not going to be the problem. So the development end of it, uh, the CEO end of it, those things are more the questions at this point, in my opinion, with, with Jeremy Pruitt. Uh, Tennessee... Uh, the quarterback situation, Jarrett Garantano and uh, the youngster Brian Moore played last week. I guess Moore took over the job uh, but had a concussion. Garantano comes back in. Moore's supposed to be good to go for Alabama. It, it's, uh, it, it's a dicey situation at the quarterback spot for Tennessee right now. Yeah, if you're Jared Garantano, probably at this point, you're fine with Maurer if he can start this week because – Gorantano took some beatings, no other way to put it, the last couple of years uh, in this series. But, you know, Maurer definitely has given him a little juice. You saw it in the first half against Georgia. He's made some big mistakes, though. This is a guy, a young quarterback where it's shown up, is probably in the red zone. Uh, He's made some mistakes there, turned the ball over a little bit. But it seems as if they do have a higher energy level not only on the offensive side of the ball, but as a team in general, when he's in there, you know, he's got some guys to work with too, Chase. Jennings, Callaway, Tyler Bird. These aren't bad skill guys. The running back position, uh, you've got some options there that have now been around for a little while, and Ty Chandler and Tim Jordan, a talented freshman, and Eric Gray. So you can kind of see the pieces. Again, though, it's been more about the inability to kind of fit it all together, you know, in a stretch of a couple of three years up there at uh, UT. And they're not as good an RPO team as a lot of teams. No. Let's let's face it. In this, the, the way things are in the game now, if you're not an efficient RPO squad, you're behind it. You're behind the eight ball offensively, and that doesn't mean you have that doesn't mean you have to ring it up for 50 points and, and 550 yards a game necessarily. But I mean Tennessee. As a team, so Garantano and Marr combined, I guess, as a team, they're completing 57% of their passes. That ranks 101st in the country. Well, look, if you're running a smooth RPO operation of any kind, even even if it's not the best, it doesn't have to be the best of the country as long as it's um, on point, you're completing 67%. So uh, I, I think that's part of what's got to come up in Tennessee that is that RPO yeah. game. Yeah, I think also you're leaving you're leaving explosive plays out there, and you look at the explosive plays that a team like Alabama generates off RPO action because it it compromises the defense so much uh, and and creates space for playmakers uh, after the catch, which we see continuously uh, with these Alabama receivers. But Jim Chaney, Tennessee's offensive coordinator, comes from Georgia. Previously at Tennessee, he is very much a pro-style guy. You look at, uh, you know, what George is doing now after Cheney left. They're they're still very pro with James Coley now in that play caller chair. So uh, whether you like it or not, I agree. Uh, and, and I and and look, Nick Saban didn't like it. There were there wasn't a bigger opponent of RPO football out there than Nick Saban, but he got tired of dealing with it and he incorporated it into his offense and the results are undeniable. Uh, but I agree. I think it's a good point about style of play and kind of becoming a little bit dated 
in your approach if you're not incorporating at least a little bit of the RPO because you're not taking advantage of the rules the way they're written right now for offensive football and college football if you're not doing it. Any doubt at all that the two primary coaches that drove Saban to embrace RPO is Gus and, and Hugh? What was I'm sorry. Yeah, what? the two coaches, the two opposing coaches oh, yeah. that drove yeah. Saban to embrace RPO. Oh, no doubt. Gus Malzahn yeah. and Hugh Freeze. Those two, I think, way more than anybody else. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Got tired of defending that. And look at the look at the the teams that had success against Alabama. Um, I don't think there's any question about that. With the three yard rule in terms of lineman downfield, uh, it's it's easy money, uh, especially if you have sort of the mix of playmakers like Alabama has. I mean, you know, when you when you can put these linebackers and safeties uh, in, in tough spots like the RPO game can, uh, even the pass rush, it slows down the pass rush because of the, the look. Um, you you got to take advantage of it because uh, teams have been taking advantage of you with it. Talking Tide podcast at podbean.com, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. We'll, tra- we'll hit on a couple of Alabama football practice notes now, Travis. Uh, two things of note, I think, this week, and maybe you've got some other thoughts, but the two things that kind of jumped out to me with the practice week for Alabama, one, Landon Dickerson continuing to work with the ones at the center position. He was effective last week. The Alabama running game with Najee Harris was effective last week. Uh, and Chris Owens, who I believe is – is good to go, has been good to go for practice this week, working with the twos. Uh, and Will Reichard still day-to-day uh, with his hip flexor injury. Those were the two primary notes I got out of practice this week. Yeah, I was out there Wednesday for the media viewing periods, and that's always uh, an interesting day to see, check in on availability and where some guys are at from a health standpoint. And yeah, Alabama came out of that Texas A&M game in pretty good shape. I mean, you had Jalen Waddell uh, with the arm issue that he had. He came back from that. We've seen him throughout the week. Um, you know, Devontae Smith obviously going to sit out a half the first half on Saturday, but you know he's been pretty involved in practices this week. The offensive line is very interesting because it has been Landon Dickerson all week uh, during media viewing periods anyway with that first-team offensive line. At the center position, Deontay Brown at right guard, Evan Neal still at left guard. So based on that, you get the sense that the line that you saw, the first group you saw at Texas A&M is still going to be in effect for Saturday night against Tennessee. And um, Chris Owens, he has participated. He has. Uh, But you you kind of feel for Chris Owens because due to something out of his control – uh, he has to miss A&M, and that opens the door for that interior trio that we saw against the Aggies that was very, very effective. And what about Will Reichert? I guess uh, I think some fans kind of probably felt like he'd be back by now. You wonder uh, what's happening there. I think Nick Saban said he's done a few things in practice, punted a little one day, maybe kicked a little another. Uh, with Skylar DeLong's struggles, I wonder if I wonder if uh, him returning to help out on the punting end might be as or more important than helping out on the on the field goal kicking in. Yeah, Saban still on Wednesday night post practice said that Reichard was in that day to day status. Said that Reichard punted some on Tuesday, kicked some on Wednesday. So we'll see. I mean, it'll it'll be a pregame warm ups type 
of thing. The problem with Riker's injury with that hip flexor is it's not one of those that you say, well, he can't make it any worse if he kicks. Yeah, he can. And that's the biggest concern there. You know, you can turn this thing from a month to maybe even five or six weeks into potentially season ending with that type of injury when you talk about a kicker slash punter in, in dealing with it. So, um, you know, Joseph Bulovis you know, made a couple field goals, had an extra point blocked at A&M, uh, but, you know, they didn't take an, another punter, really. They took DeLong, and they had Reichard at Texas A&M dressed. I, I think that was a in case of emergency break glass type situation had they needed to use him. Uh, but, it, you know, a home game, you can dress more guys. In their last SEC home game, uh, we saw two or three walk-ons, three walk-ons, I believe, that dressed for that game. So we'll see. I think that's the best way to put it when you talk about the punting situation specifically. Travis, we'll just, I think, be good to touch on the, the history of the rivalry just a bit, or maybe the, the modern history of the rivalry just a bit before we jump into the rest of the Southeastern Conference. I'm going to add... I'm going to ask you, I'm going to go first so you can think about your end, but uh, the best Alabama-Tennessee game that you personally attended pre-Saban, all right? Wow. I'm, I'm going to come at you with 1992. It was uh, Alabama's national championship year. It was at Neyland Stadium. I went there with a uh, Tennessee student ticket. Uh, and was told, that, <laughs> uh, and of course I wasn't a Tennessee student as as we know, but I was told that you could get in, no matter who, whether you were a Tennessee student or not, you could get into the game at a particular gate after a particular time with a Tennessee student ticket without showing Tennessee student ID. So my girlfriend and now wife show up at this gate with a couple of Tennessee student tickets uh, and there's 3,000 people trying to jam through this gate, and there's one security guy and one guy ch- taking the t- take, checking the tickets, and it was a nightmare because the line wouldn't move. Well, uh, we're sitting outside the stadium, and we see the football. For, for, I forget which gate it was, but it was high enough that we could actually see the football on the kickoff. But that's all we we could just see the ball over the top of the stadium, <laughs> the top of the stadium, and we knew the game had started. And a thousand people still waiting to to, to get in through this particular gate because it's the only kind of t- you know with the ticket you had, it was the only gate you could get in at. Start shoving and pushing. We get through. And the shoving and the pushing once we got past the gate was so bad. I mean, we were physically getting crushed by hundreds of people all around us. There were, uh, I, I saw some elderly folks panic and climb a fence to get out of that mess. Yeah. Uh, it, it was, and uh, out, uh, final score, Alabama 17, Tennessee 10. Uh, big day for uh, that vaunted 1992 Alabama defense. That was a uh, prototype Stallings ball that day because you're right. It was a seven point game and you felt like Alabama dominated more thoroughly than the scoreboard indicated. He's Shuler at quarterback, right? That's For the balls right. yep. in 92. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. He's Shuler. Um, you know, a couple of mine probably sound weird. 98 in Knoxville. It sounds weird because Alabama lost the game and Tennessee went on to win the national championship. 
But it was that whole weekend in Knoxville that puts it up there for me. I was with some friends that you know, mutual friends of ours. Um, we, we, we did the town up, okay, on, on Friday and into Saturday in Knoxville. Uh, the wife, Smitty, you know, pals like that. We, uh, we, 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 we had a good time and pops was there. Pops went to that one. (laughs) Pops was there for that one. So, I mean, just the people that we were with, uh, you you could, you could sort of, uh, regardless of how the game went, you, you couldn't help but have a good time in 98. Um, in 88 up in Knoxville, a game that really had no bearing on the Southeastern conference that year, David Smith had a nice game, the walk on quarterback. Now a white hat ref in the Southeastern conference, uh, hit some big plays, Keith McCants on defense, but that was another one school craft. My pal that lives up there, my older brother went with me. Uh, it was just a a fun weekend. I, I probably had more fun around the games at Tennessee, Alabama than the games themselves. Although, I mean, there's been some 2003, the five overtime game, 2005, you know, Alabama wins on Roman Harper's big play late in that one. Uh, Brody Coral hits DJ Hall on the deep ball. Jamie Christensen hits the field goal, you know, but I, I, I know this sounds crazy, but I, I've had some good times in Knoxville, man, regardless of the outcome. Been some big games there for sure. You know this much. Uh, when you and your boys and pops were tying one on on that <laughs> Friday night, you know, at that time in the Alabama-Tennessee rivalry, you know you never had to worry about having to get up at 10 or 10.30 for an 11 a.m. kick because at, at that time you knew every year that game was going to be CBS 2.30 yep. at, the, at the earliest. Yeah, that was that was a 2.30 game. that And that 98 game was 2.30. You know, 88. I don't even know if that game was – that game may not even have been televised. That's the year Tennessee started 0-5 in 88. Ooh. And uh, that was just like your basic 2 o'clock kickoff, you know, and uh, find it on the radio somewhere. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it, for me, it, it's, it's been yeah. and a, a, 80, 88 a good time. 88 would have been a different network TV configuration than we have oh, yeah. now. I can't remember. I can't remember who was carrying college football yeah, in 88 and, hardly at and, all. In 88, 88, you had the early kickoff. I, I think that – I think you had it. I a, think that a, was – Yeah, ABC would have been doing a day game at that time. Yeah, ABC still had their thing. TBS, I think it was, was doing the – the early game. And then, you know, you had some form of ESPN, uh, in the, uh, in the evenings, but, uh, certainly not the, uh, the all in, in inclusive television schedule we have these days in the Southeastern conference. There you go. The walk down third Saturday in October memory lane from the talking tide podcast. You can get it at podbean.com, iTunes, Google play, Stitcher, and tune in the Twitter feed talking underscore tide. Travis and I are going to thank a couple of quick sponsors, and then we're going to take a look around a couple of games around the sec. Uh, we're going to start thanking North River Dental Associates and Dr. Jack Smalley over there at 1100 Fairfax Park in Northport, right off of McFarland Boulevard. North River Dental Associates, the place to go. Get your teeth taken care of, your whole family's teeth. They'll do it right over there. Make sure you get in there twice a year for routine cleanings like you're supposed to. But beyond that, they can do it all at North River Dental, porcelain veneers, teeth whitening services, 
cosmetic dentistry, pediatric dentistry, whatever you might need, they can take care of it over there at North River Dental Associates. Appointments can be made at NorthRiverDentist.com or call 752-3506 for an appointment. They'll get you in and out in less than an hour, typically, on a routine cleaning over at North River. Also want to thank Session Cocktails and Spirits, Tuscaloosa's newest cocktail bar, a smoke-free environment featuring pre-prohibition and modern classic cocktails made by a team of the most talented bartenders in Tuscaloosa. Stiff drinks, fancy glassware, funky atmosphere over there at Session. You'll find it at 2221 University Boulevard, right between the Children's Hands-On Museum and Rock and Roll Sushi, and they've got a lengthy array of uh, signature cocktails for you to try. They're doing a mint julep over there, a Mai Tai, an old fashioned that's outstanding. You can try that sidecar. I've had that myself. Uh, the painkiller is always a good one to go. I'm moving my way through the menu, Travis. I'm not to the end of it yet, but I'm getting there. I'm getting yeah, there. Yeah, I've noticed that you've kind of taken over as the quality control guy there <laughs> at session. Doing a good job of that. I appreciate you know, making sure that. Yeah. everything's in working order there. It, it's it's volunteer work, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, but, uh, yeah. Session cocktail and spirit. Hunter Wiggins and his staff will get you taken care of over there. Give them a visit uh, next time you're in downtown Tuscaloosa. Speaking of downtown Tuscaloosa, frickin' spoon right there in Timerson Square in downtown Tuscaloosa. You know, I'm looking right now at the Facebook page for Brick and Spoon. If you haven't already, give them a like on Facebook, Brick and Spoon Tuscaloosa on Facebook. And if you do that, you're going to see what I'm seeing right now. You're seeing some of the catering options that Brick and Spoon offers. Right now, I'm looking at a couple of platters of shrimp and grits alongside some cheeseburger sliders. Does that sound like a game day setup to you? It certainly does to me, and they can take care of you, not only with dinner items for catering, but also breakfast that you may, you may have that business breakfast you need catered in Tuscaloosa. Well, you can get that handled by Brick and Spoon as well. Give them a call at 205-345-5551 between 7 a.m. and 2 and talk to them about those catering options. And while you're there, I'll tell you what, just go by Brick and Spoon. You can sample some of these things. That great menu, whether it's breakfast, whether it's brunch, those shrimp and grits I was just talking about. Yeah, they got that for you. Uh, or lunch, burgers, sandwiches. Great, great stuff at Brick and Spoon, downtown Tuscaloosa at Timerson Square. Also want to tell you about our good friends at Heat Pizza Bar, downtown Tuscaloosa at Government Plaza. Man, Frank and Will and the gang there, they just continue to knock it out of the park. The weekly uh, weeknight specials that you're going to find, whether it's Monday night when you can get half off bottles of wine, $6 cheese pizzas. Tuesday night, you're going to have $7 Thai chicken pizzas right on through the week. Great, great specials at Heat Pizza Bar on a nightly basis starting at 6 o'clock. Get by there open for lunch as well. A great craft uh, bar menu as well. Uh, full bar there for you. Great salads. Heat Pizza Bar, downtown Tuscaloosa at Government Plaza. Might have to do a Sunday nighter from Heat coming up. Yeah, I, I feel one of those coming on for sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. We, we've done a few a few Sunday nighters over there at Heat Pizza Bar. Always have a good time, no doubt about it. Frank and Will do a fantastic job. The Talking Tide podcast at podbean.com, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and tune in. The Twitter feed, Talking underscore Tide. Chase Goodbread and Travis Ryer getting out of here in a few minutes, but we're going to look at a couple of SEC games first, as we always do, to close out the show. And Travis not a huge, not a not a fantastic SEC slate this week for sure. But I will ask you: Do you look at Florida at South Carolina a little differently after the Gamecocks upset of Georgia, or a lot differently? I think you got to at least uh, a little differently, right? I mean, we're talking about a South Carolina team that just went on the road as a four touchdown underdog and knocked off a top four or five team in the country uh, in the Bulldogs. So, you know, you wonder about the health of Ryan Holinsky because I don't think if you're South Carolina, you're going to pull off for four quarters what you somehow managed to do against Georgia on the road with your third-string quarterback once Holinsky went out of that game in Athens. So I think a lot of it depends on the availability of Ryan Holinsky and not only that, his effectiveness, uh, assuming he does give it a go. Uh, but there's no doubt in terms of a self-esteem boost, a much-needed self-esteem boost, South Carolina got that and more. Now, you know, can they sort of build on it? This is a spot where in the past, South Carolina hasn't always done that. So, uh, you know, we'll see. I, I think it is uh, certainly a game that compared to seven or eight days ago, we're going to be far more intrigued by than, than we were prior to that, that upset of Georgia. Javon Kinlaw is having a fantastic year at defensive tackle for South Carolina. He, he seems to show up week after week, and, and if he's a wrecking ball in the middle of that Florida offensive line, that's going to create some, some problems for Trask. And, and, and I know that, that you know Dan, Mullen's, Dan Mullen keeps his offense flexible enough to, to deal with that kind of thing uh, effectively. I know at times I just – I wonder if uh, – if South Carolina just blows it up up the middle at home, uh, if they won't be able to hold Florida to 14 or 17. Yeah, you know, I every week I kind of look at Kyle Trask and keep waiting for him to lay an egg. And look, you know, he threw a big pick late in that game at LSU last Saturday, but I thought he played great otherwise. I, I thought Mullen maybe overcoached that quarterback situation a little bit in that game. Didn't really understand the series for Emory Jones and a seven-point deficit there in the second half. Um, but but Trask has impressed me. He really, really has. And, you know, Florida, from an injury standpoint, I'm, I'm worried about conversely to South Carolina with Helensky, you know, is, you know, guys like Zuniga, um, is Greenard going to be good to go? Those two edge guys who were desperately missed. Uh, in in that game at LSU last week, uh, there's some there's some injuries uh, around the league that that rank up there in terms of importance, and I think a couple of them on the defensive side of the ball for Florida are, are certainly among them. LSU at Mississippi State, Texas A&M at Ole Miss. Are those? I don't want to say they're both runaways for the for the visiting squads necessarily, uh, but. I, I think I, I think LSU and LSU's I think will dominate Texas A&M that may be tight I still like the Aggies 
Yeah, you know, I think LSU, Mississippi State has a chance to be kind of like Alabama, Texas A&M last week. I think it'll probably be that kind of game. I like the commitment to Garrett Schrader, the true freshman quarterback by Mississippi State head coach Joe Moorhead at this point. You know, Tommy Stevens just hasn't been himself since uh, an injury or two earlier in the season. I think at this point, if you're Moorhead and you're thinking big picture, and even really in the immediate see, immediate future, I think Schrader's their best bet right now. But that's a tough ask of a true freshman quarterback, even at home with LSU coming in there. Although I think something we don't talk about enough with LSU because we're all sort of encaptivated by this offensive uh, prowess of the Tigers is the fact that they can be had a little bit on the defensive side of the ball. So, you know, maybe State causes some problems early in that game. But, yeah, I think LSU ultimately proves too strong. I'm, I'm interested in Texas A&M Ole Miss uh, because from a bowl perspective, I, I think Texas A&M is still very much a bowl team in the SEC. Uh, but Ole Miss, if, if they can get this one at home, they at least still remain relevant to the postseason conversation. So I'm, I'm officially intrigued by Texas A&M Ole Miss at 6.30 Saturday night on the SEC Network. We'll make sure that's part of the SEC look around on a Sunday night. Yeah. We'll, we'll hit yeah. circle back on that one. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of the Talking Tide podcast. For Travis Ryer of BamaOnline.com and Southern Fried Sports Radio, I'm Chase Goodbread of NFL.com and Crimson Cover Television. Be sure to join us Sunday night when we recap Alabama's game against the Tennessee Vols. We'll talk to you then right here on Talking Tide.